Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today we're putting inflation firmly in the spotlight. Inflation is certainly very much on people's minds at the moment, but what factors are driving the recent rise and should we be worried? As well as that pretty profound question, we'll also ask our experts whether we might see inflation dropping quite fast at some point. Could this happen, for instance, after an unclogging of one small part of a supply chain that might in return release a great deal of pent-up supply, thus changing the supply and demand balance and thereby leading to lower inflation pressure? We'll also consider central banks and the policy response. Are central banks worried and what's the risk of tightening policy prematurely, perhaps slowing growth, even harming markets? Well, to help answer those questions, we start with a familiar voice. Chris Swan, strategist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. Chris, thanks for being on the show as ever. Now, Chris, there's been a huge amount of discussion around recent rises in inflation and perhaps understandably, you know, the concerns that this causes across the piece. Just tell us a bit about some of the kind of cause and effect here. What's behind the the recent rises that have captured so much attention? So we're probably seeing sort of three main factors. Uh, The the first is a lot of disruption in the data from the pandemic and the subsequent sort of reopening. Uh, So we're seeing a lot of uh, very focused increases in inflation that is sort of quite narrowly based in in areas affected by that trend. I mean, one, one particularly striking example is used car prices. So during the past, these have really been surging and creating quite a big impact, particularly in the United States. And part of the reason for that is a good example of why inflation has been rising is that a lot of people have been shunning public transport, so preferring uh, their own vehicles, and um, also the sort of traditional, uh, should we say, sort of supply of cars to used car dealers has been interrupted by the fact that there's been so much government stimulus that fewer people have defaulted on uh, car payments. We've also seen very focused increases in flights as economies have reopened in hotel rooms. So, So that's one factor behind it. Uh, The other uh, has been in energy. So obviously, oil uh, tumbled uh, after the uh, start of the pandemic as demand for transport fuel uh, really collapsed. And um, as we've started to see signs uh, moving towards normalization, that's uh, rebounded quite quickly and uh, also created quite a a large effect. And more broadly, uh, we've seen what you could say are uh, base effects where at the moment we're comparing uh, the economy now to a year ago when we were sort of really, really in the darkest parts of the the pandemic. And um, as, uh, as months go by, these base effects will fade. So, Chris, is it fair to say then that given that narrow focus you've described there, depending on what specific measures one looks at, the situation maybe doesn't look quite so bad as it might at first glance? Yeah. So I think the view among central bankers and clearly among investors as well is that this should be fleeting, that the measures are at the moment are somewhat uh, distorted. But it doesn't. what it doesn't mean is that we're seeing a broad rise in prices. For, for example, if you look at a, a metric called the trimmed uh, median measure of inflation, which basically cuts out some of the more extreme price moves, there's nothing particularly alarming there. 
And a lot of the other indicators that economists look at to see is there really deep inflation pressure building up here is uh, wage growth. And again, you're not really seeing the kind of wage demands that would be um, associated with sustained inflation, neither in the US nor in uh, the Eurozone. Uh, well, we'll come back. You mentioned central banks uh, a moment ago, and we'll come back to sort of policy response in a, in a second, because I think that's really interesting. But I did want to ask you a little bit about something that your colleague, uh, Paul Donovan, a regular guest on this programme, of course, uh, an interesting, I don't know what you'd call it. Is it is it a, it's a metaphor or something about the, the ketchup bottle? And people might be jumping in their seats and saying, hang on, ketchup, what are you talking about, Tom? But this is quite interesting, isn't it, about a potential drop to inflation? Can you explain why I'm bringing condiments into the matter, Chris? Yeah, well, what he's not saying is that uh, ketchup looms large, so large in our consumption patterns that it sways inflation. He's pointing out to this effect uh, sort of when you're often at uh, sort of dinner and you, you try very hard to shake the ketchup bottle and nothing comes out and then all of a sudden it all comes out in, at the same time. And uh, the analogy here is with the global supply chain that a lot of the restrictions um, uh, clogged up global supply chains and it just meant that lots of goods uh, were not getting to their users. And um, there's a potential, as Paul has identified, that all of this supply, as it sort of hits the market relatively suddenly, could cause uh, a more significant uh, fall off in inflation, which is an, an interesting idea. And we'll see how that plays out in the data. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep a weather eye on that. Let's talk a little bit about about central banks, because obviously there is, it's, it, we're in an interesting moment, aren't we, in terms of there's an understandable eagerness, perhaps, from central banks around the world to prepare to kind of wean markets off all of these very important pandemic support measures. And yet at the same time, if you look at what people have been saying, you know, Jerome Powell, for example, talking about the pandemic still being very much with us, it it is kind of tricky in some respects to gauge exactly what that what any moves might make. And I guess, Chris, the the key thing is there's an understandable worry about, you know, any premature changes in terms of, of tightening policy. Yeah, they've been really cautious because uh, you might remember back in 2013, sort of uh, an, an episode that economists came to see as a taper tantrum when the Federal Reserve said they were going to cut bond purchases back. And uh, there was a, it took the market by surprise. There was a rather adverse reaction. Uh, equities fell and yields uh, spiked higher. So uh, central banks really seem to have learned the lesson from that. And I think there are two things going on. First, if they genuinely thought that inflation was getting out of control, uh, then they really would be forced to act. Uh, but I think there's enough evidence, as we were pointing to earlier, that that's not the case. And uh, what they've really been trying to do is reassure the markets they're not going to do anything premature. There were really two aspects of um, easing that they're focused on. One is the pace at which they're buying bonds. And this was an effort during the pandemic to avoid a liquidity crisis. But as uh, demand for liquidity has fallen, as confidence has risen, the need for quite this pace of quantitative easing uh, has uh, declined. Uh, So um, uh, central banks are signaling that at at some point, uh, relatively soon, probably before the end of the year or early next at the latest, will be withdrawing some of that extra liquidity. But what the Fed has indicated is that that doesn't mean that they're going to raise rates anytime soon. So all of these central banks are, for the moment, looking pretty supportive mode, particularly the um, ECB and the Fed. 
And I guess, will there be variations due to specific conditions locally, Chris? I mean, it follows that there will be some divergence, I guess, in some of these markets. And we might see differences between, you know, I don't know, the ECB or the Bank of England or, or the Fed. I mean, that's that's only to be expected, right? We've already seen the the first developed market central bank raising rates. That was the uh, uh, Central Bank of South Korea. The New Zealanders uh, should follow suit. Uh, pretty soon, and uh, yeah, the uh, as, as you point out, the U.S. economy has uh, is at perhaps a more advanced stage of recovery than uh, the eurozone so far, and it's going to be a very long time before you see meaningful tightening, uh, very probably in Europe or uh, Switzerland uh, or potentially Japan too. And Chris, we always like to kind of consider what our discussions mean in terms of what investors could and should do. I guess some of the themes we've been discussing today, you know, they do further complicate the the so-called sort of search for yield. But nevertheless, I suppose investors shouldn't be disheartened and there remain opportunities. I mean, is that the, the view of you and your colleagues? It is the view. And uh, so I guess there are two aspects to this, that uh, central banks remaining stimulative is positive for equities. And, um, yeah, we've just seen the S&P 500 hit its 50th all-time high so far this year. That's more than any of the past uh, three years already. Uh, The U.S. market's up by 20%. uh, And our our view is that, yeah, with central bank support is a key underpinning of um, broad global equity markets. As you say, it does complicate the search for yield for those investors who are reliant on an income. But uh, there are um, options, uh, including uh, high dividend uh, companies that pay a high and sustainable dividend, uh, along with uh, sort of Asian uh, high yield is still offering uh, very uh, attractive um, potential uh, returns. Chris Swan. Well, let's turn next to Dean Turner, another regular voice on this programme. Dean is an economist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO in London. Dean, thanks for being on the programme as ever. Dean, let me ask you first of all about, you know, how how concerned people should be, I suppose, about recent inflationary pressure, and also what what's driving that. Because if you you know look at what the, how the media is covering it, you know, it's definitely a very live topic. What is behind the the inflationary pressures that we're we're seeing, and how worrying is or is it not? Yeah, there's three key things we've got to focus on when we're looking at what's currently driving inflation. The first is there's base effects. Now, for those who are non-economists, it's worth remembering that inflation is a measure of prices today relative to where they were a year ago. And if we think back to this time last year, you know, we were just emerging from the pandemic, but we were still, you know, really in, um, in a situation where economies were being hampered by the pandemic quite a bit and prices were held up artificially low. Now, since then, we've had a quite wide reopening of most economies, and that has enabled prices to normalize um, away from the uh, pandemic effects. But nevertheless, in terms of the year-on-year comparisons, that prices look higher compared to where they do a year ago. So this kind of base effect is having quite a big impact on headline inflation. And there's, and there's one area in particular that I would focus on, and that's with energy prices. Because if we think back to last year, the price of oil was very depressed. 
as the global economy was hit hard. And today, you know, we've rebounded quite a bit. The second thing that um, that is driving inflation is what, uh, again, this is more of an economist term, but it's what we call seasonal adjustment. So a lot of economic data is adjusted for various seasonal patterns. And one of the things that we're noticing at the moment is that a lot of those seasonal patterns that we would expect to see aren't holding true. So, for example, the summer sales of clothing that we would expect to see haven't really happened this year because shops have only just reopened. So that's another effect that's you know that's pushing up on on, on inflation. Now, the third effect is with what we're seeing in terms of supply chain disruptions. Now, you know it's been quite widely reported that companies are having a lot of problems getting hold of various parts, various goods, various commodities, and, and with demand outstripping supply, that is pushing prices higher. So those three of three effects combined are actually pushing up on inflation. Now, you know the big question: Should we be worried about this? Well, look. Quite frankly, regarding the first two points, no, I don't think we need to be worried. Base effects and these seasonal patterns will adjust over time. And in a couple of months, you know, their impact on headline inflation will have, uh, will, will have fallen away. But the supply disruptions perhaps is something we do need to keep an eye on. This is something that has been a little bit more persistent than most were expecting. And that could keep pressure on prices for a little bit longer. The only positive to take from that is that it it does seem to be confined to a relatively small area of the inflation basket. So whilst um, whilst I'm suggesting that, you know, or, or hinting that perhaps there could be further price pressures for the time being, it's going to be in a very limited area. So in terms of the overall headline inflation, yes, they're going higher over the next couple of months. But when I take a kind of six to 12 month view, I don't think we need to be that worried, quite frankly. If you look at different measures, can that make the make the picture look a bit brighter? I was talking to your colleague Chris Swan about this, and he was talking about uh, trimmed mean inflation. In a sense, if you look at different metrics, can that give you again a different slant on things? Absolutely. Um, you know, what we should remember that what we're talking about when we're referring to inflation, this headline measure of inflation, it really is just um, it's an artificial construct. You know, nobody actually experiences that level of inflation. It's just a basket of goods that are selected and weighted with you know within an index, and there's going to be prices going up. There's going to be prices going down within that basket, and you get a whole number of that. Now, what we do by looking at you know, what what's called um, more focused measures of inflation, so the trimmed mean, as you mentioned earlier, or even or even something uh, listeners may, may have heard of core inflation, we strip out some of the more volatile elements within that basket. And when you look at those measures, what you're actually seeing is that, that is, inflation is pretty much close to, or in some cases, below where central banks would like it to be. So let me give you an example of that. You know, in the Eurozone this week, we had an inflation print suggesting that inflation um, is as high as 3% in the Eurozone. Now, obviously, that's that's true for the basket but if we look at the core measure within that which strips out those volatile items you'll see that inflation is actually coming in at around 1.6% so significantly below the 2% target the way that the ECB would like to see it at. Um, well, you mentioned ECB there, Dean, and I wanted to ask you perhaps finally about central banks and the policy response, of course. This is, I guess, the other key point here. Tell us a bit about how you see central banks and concerns that they might have over, you know, premature tightening. I guess there are echoes of the situation, what, what is it now, eight, nine years ago, the, the, the taper tantrum, whatever you want to call it. How much is that still on people's minds? 
And how much do they have to balance, you know, the fact that the pandemic is still very active? I think it was in the Fed Chair Powell's notes from from last month, you know, saying the pandemic is still with us. That is obviously still a very active concern. How will central banks be weighing up these these pressures in your view? I mean, in my mind, I mean, famous last words here, but I think the, um, the the chances on central banks tightening too soon or causing a panic in the markets are quite limited. Now, you refer to the taper tantrum. That was a situation where the U.S. Federal Reserve reduced its purchase of bonds and it caused a bit of a fright in the markets and yields rose quite substantially. Look, you know, the Fed are going to taper their bond purchases at some point, but this has been the most most well-flagged taper in memory, quite frankly. So it's my expectation that as and when we do hear from the Federal Reserve that they are going to reduce their bond purchases, the markets are, you know, our markets are fully prepared for this. So the kind of tantrum scenario, I don't think, uh, I don't think is likely. But, you know, look, we focus on the Federal Reserve a lot, but we've got to um, also be aware of what's going on elsewhere in the world. There are some central banks that are moving a little bit quicker. So, for example, the Bank of England, uh, the, uh, the Nordic Bank in Norway, uh, the New Zealand Central Bank, Bank of Canada, are all probably a little bit ahead of the curve and looking to reduce policy accommodation a little bit quicker. But we must be aware that, you know, this has been very well flagged and economic conditions in those countries uh, do warrant that. And also there is um, the, those central banks at the other end of the spectrum. If you think about the ECB, I mean, we'll see what happens on the meeting on the 9th of December, but whether or not they they decide to reduce their pace of purchases by a modest amount is quite irrelevant, really, because they're still going to be buying bonds for many, many, many months to come, and policy will remain much more accommodative. So, you know, this whole combination of you know central banks at various points, at various points in the tightening cycle, and the fact that central bank communication has been so strong throughout this pandemic, I don't think that you know there's much of a danger or much of a chance that we're going to see uh, a premature tightening. And I would also just finally just make the point that you mentioned Jackson Hole earlier and the fact that um, bank central bankers are still very much aware that the pandemic uh, is, is far from over. That is something that's going to keep them at the more cautious end, even for those central banks that are perhaps um, you know, in, in a bit more of a hawkish mood right now. Dean Turner. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. As ever, you can listen again or find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.